Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. And let me remind you, if you didn't, weren't here last week, you got a letter in the mail. If you didn't get a letter in the mail, I'm sorry. Consider this your personal notification. But Joshua P. Little is the next lead pastor at Westside. Yeah. I love that guy. And let me remind you of something. There's a great heritage in the life of this church. I get it. You've had some wonderful leaders. God's next leader isn't gone at some other location. God's next leader is right there. He's not going to be anybody else but who God has made him to be. And you can thank the Lord that he's not like me. All right? It's going to be a good time. All right. Was I supposed to do something else? Gee, I got kind of amped up there for a sec. What? I did talk about Joshua. More about Joshua? Joshua, could you? No, I'm just kidding. I I would like to make mention that uh, Joshua's beautiful and precious and delightful mom is here. And uh, so let's give it up for for his mama. Thank you for coming. You shouldn't have. It's just good that you came to see me. Probably not. All right. So we're going to continue our series titled uh, Marked. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Mark 13 today and uh, just spent a week with our children, our adult kids, one grandkid. It was just a blast. But I want all of us to go back in time a little bit because when we have we we're raising four kids at home, we would often take what we called road trips. Maybe I'll call them that. I'm not sure. And it'd be of various lengths. It could be you know, to Disneyland. Yay, we go to Disneyland. That's always fun with four kids. So we'd go there or we'd go camping or do something like that. But inevitably, um, there's one question that was recurring in the vehicle all the time. What? When are we going to get, are we almost there yet? What's the problem, Dad? We're supposed to be there a long time ago or whatever. So we have four kids, just different personalities, but one of them, and it seemed like it'd rotate through the group. One of them was always, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Come on. I thought we were going to be there by now. Well, it's 1,200 miles away, you know. (laughs) Anyhow, and, and then there'd be two of the four, like, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but they were totally oblivious. They'd have like their little... What was that thing where, was there a DS2? Was there something like that? Yeah, they're playing their games and you hear this, all these noises and they're clueless. And, but then there would be one, you never know which one for sure. And they're just like totally chill. They have this perfect balance between expectation and present reality and they're just at peace. But when you think about that with four kids, only 25% of your offspring are at a good place. That's all we had. Anyhow, I'll get back to that story in a little bit, but I actually do think it has a little bit to do, perhaps, maybe it's a stretch with today's message. We'll get there in a minute. Mark 13, um, we're going to start out verses one through four. I don't even think I sent it down. It's probably not on the screen, but I'll read it and we'll get through it. Okay. But um, anyhow, um, 
what happens with Jesus and his disciples is they basically have a conversation that's like this. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I know we're not. We're still hanging out at church. Are we there yet? And they're having this dialogue. And, and we're going to look at probably the entirety of chapter 13. Maybe not. We're kind of running out of time. But uh, we'll look at part of it anyhow. And uh, oh, I'm going down. I'm going down. Okay. So we're going to get there. But in chapter 12, we need to remember that Jesus is just now leaving the the temple, he'd been teaching in the temple, and it was a glorious thing. Even though it was the second temple, it was still really cool. And uh, they're exiting, and this is how the text unfolds. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. They were stirred and overwhelmed by the beauty of the temple. You think the Lord might just go along with that and continue, but he, but he says this very interesting response. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives off, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, a rabbi. Tell us, when will these things happen? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Come on, when are these things going to happen? And, and also, what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Are we there yet? Would you say that with me? Are we there yet? Today's message is titled, Marked for Eternity, and it may come into focus as we go through the message. Um, I want to look at this conversation in verse by verse, maybe in its entirety, maybe not, but it's really from a pretty high elevation, so I'm not going to get into the granular details uh, about end times and stuff like that. Some of you are passionate thinkers about the end of the age, and that's great. And you're probably bummed. Oh, I can't believe he's not going to go into detail. Just sneak out quietly. It's okay. Others of you are going, I'm so glad he's not going into detail about all this. But what we're going to see will not only apply to the audience, the, those who are listening to the voice of Jesus, but they're all, we're also going to look at what applies to us today about being marked for eternity. What does Jesus say to his disciples about the end times? The first thing he says is what just about every dad or mom says as you're one-fifth of the way through your trip. He says, we aren't there yet. He says it straight up to his disciples. We're not there yet. Look at verse 5. It may be on your screen. If I forgot to send it to you, I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm having a problem with here. It won't be long, I'll be gone, you guys will be fine. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. We aren't there yet. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. He tells them, we're not there yet. I, I think in the vernacular that we might use today, he, he's just saying, hey, don't allow these things to upset you. It's part of the journey that we're on, and it's going to be just fine. As a matter of fact, it's just the beginning of the journey that we're on. So the, I guess the question is, where are we today? And, and some people would say, you know what? The world that we live in is pretty bad. Any amens to that world we live in is pretty bad? I, I wrote a word that I'm pretty sure is not a word, but I feel like I really need to say it. It's, it's getting worser. I think the world that we live in is getting worser to some degree or another. At least it's moving faster that direction. But when you really stop and think about it, um, we could make a very strong case that life overall, at least in the history of humanity, has never been better. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff that we enjoy because we're here as we're spiraling towards wherever there is that we're not there yet. I mean, there's actually less war, and there's plenty of it. Of course, communication is different now than it was years ago, but there's less war today than there was like back when I was a kid, which is a long time ago, or even before that, the history of humanity, there is less war today. Now, with the advancement of terrorism and cyber ter terrorism, I suppose the individual threats that we might face could be on the increase. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I can't even get my phone on. I don't know what cyber terrorism means, but it sounds like a bad thing. But Jesus is just saying, hey, guys, this is part of the process, but we aren't there yet. Second thing he makes clear to them, which is great news, there are some rough times ahead for all of us. Now, I'm talking about his group that's directly hearing, but there's a parallel between what he's telling them and the, and the circumstances that we might face. So number two, there are some rough times ahead for us. Verse nine, <clears throat> you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Can you hear Peter, James, John, and Andrew? You know what they're saying? They're going, I can't believe we actually asked this question because they're finding out what's gonna happen to them. I mean, legit persecution, not the stuff that we face when our pedicures goes on strike or something. Text goes on. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And cl clearly Jesus is speaking uh, to the men who he's discipling. And for what reason? Verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now it appears to me, and, and you guys might disagree with me, and that's totally okay, but it appears to me that their persecution would actually result in the advancement of the gospel, the gospel moving forward, the good news. And there's a couple of parallel truths that I, I want to pull out of here for all of us to hear this morning. The first is this. God loves you and is for you. I'm not saying 
that God looks beyond sin. I'm not saying that. God detests sinfulness. But God loves you, and he's for you. And if you hear anything different in gatherings such as this, I would question the message that's being proclaimed. Because God is for those that he created. Amen. Amen. Thank you. But it's parallel truth might ruffle some feathers. God is far more concerned for his kingdom advancing on earth than he is for your or my comfort. Let me say that again. Because you're not upset enough. God is much more concerned about advancing the kingdom than he is about you and I being comfortable. Maybe the challenge or difficulty that you're enduring right now, maybe, if handled with godliness and humility, just maybe it will result in advancing the kingdom of God. Because if someone sees you walking through difficult times, and they see you doing it with humility and with grace, they're going to ask you why. And it's going to be a great opportunity for you to point them to the Savior of the world and the Savior of your soul. We're not there yet, guys. Rough times ahead. The third point, it doesn't get a whole lot better. There are some really, really bad times for everybody on the horizon. Not just, anybody remember Creedence Clearwater Revival? Anybody remember? Yeah, all of us over 100, we got it. So 1969, John Fogarty makes this song popular, Bad Moon Rising. You got to listen to it because it kind of fits what we're talking about. But anyhow, there's this worldwide event of colossal impact on the way for everybody. Verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, the Messiah is actually quoting Daniel 9, verse 27. You can read it if you want to. Um, but It's it's kind of a cool correlation. And and many theologians believe, of which I'm not. I'm not a theologian. Uh, You're about to have one as a pastor, and that's really cool. But many theologians believe that prophecy can kind of have double fulfillment and... uh, for example, Daniel's prophecy that Christ quotes may have pointed to a Greek leader who, in 150 BC, placed a statue of Zeus in the temple. It may have pointed to that. But those same theologians and those much more educated than I would say that Jesus is talking about two things to come. One, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in uh, 70 AD. Rome just crushes things and tears stuff apart and stone by stone hits the ground. We've been to Israel, seen, you know, been to the Western Wall, the Temple Mount and all that kind of stuff. There's actually a few stones that are still on the ground and they are massive. They are just massive. And you walk up to it as you approach the Western Wall and it's like, is this it? Is, is this a picture, as it were, in real life of Jesus' prophecy being fulfilled? They're just all cattywampus. It's the most incredible thing. It's just fascinating. Anyhow, so that's one part of it. But the second uh, talking point that 
Jesus could be referring to is believed that he's referring to an end times antichrist figure who signs a treaty with Israel. I told you this was going to be a high elevation snapshot thing. Suffice it to say that it gets really, really ugly until Christ returns. Thanks for coming to Westside where you knew you were going to be encouraged today and lifted up. You will just wait. We're not there yet. Rough times ahead. Really bad times for everyone on the horizon. But this is another thing he says to his disciples, and this is the one I hang on to. Keep your head up. Keep your head up because I'm coming in the clouds. Now the I'm coming is nothing less than the Son of God. And he will return in power that none of us have ever seen. There might be persecution on the horizon for us, okay. There might be difficulties. We may not be there yet, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of the world is going to show up in a way, and it says, every eye will see. Woo! I want to see that day. And it could be today. It could be. It could happen, because we're not there yet. Anyhow, verse 24. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of the heavens. Possible timeline. It's going to be fast. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to write fast. Antichrist shows up. Great tribulation. This is a fun one. We all come from different backgrounds. One of you is going to call me a heresy or a heretic. I don't care. So here's the thing. We got the tribulation. Some people say, well, are we experiencing the tribulation right now? Uh, the world's kind of messed up. There probably are some Christians somewhere around the world who may feel that that's the case. But so was the early church. They were feeling the same thing. Anyhow, so um, those who are alive in Christ will be called to meet him in the air. And then those who have died also. It's going to be a pretty cool time. So people ask me, are you, are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? Like they want to be sure that whatever they are is right and I'm wrong. I don't really care. It's kind of a fun conversation. Are you post-trib? And I say, I'm none of those three. And then they freak out like, what Bible college did you go to? Or something like that, you know? And I tell them, I say, I'm pan-trib. And they're like, what? Pan-trib? And so I have to explain it to them. Here, my God is so big. He's so big. The whole thing is going to pan out just fine. Right? It's going to be fine. Yeah. I'd, li I'd like to be jettisoned out of here before the tribulation. I don't know the way things are going. I don't know. sure I'm going to make it that far. But God is good. Amen? Okay. So God's got the timing down. Jesus appears in the sky. Jesus establishes kingdom rule, the last judgment. All are judged and rewarded accordingly. There is a new heaven and a new earth. But the question remains, are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
when does all this happen? And I have the answer. A little shaky ground right there. Let me say it this way. The Messiah has the answer. Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Say it with me. No one knows. Nobody knows. Now, I know there are some eschatological, like, freaks out there. You love it, and that's great. You can talk to anybody about that but me, because I don't know very much about it. But here's the thing. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only whom? The Father. The Father. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How's it going to all go down? It's all going to pan out, and God's going to be glorified. That's what's going to go down. I know we want to ask, are we there yet? Are we in the end times? And, and Jesus actually shows his disciples and us there are more important questions to be addressed than are we there yet. Let's read towards the end of the chapter. Are you ready to be done? Nobody said, yeah, okay, good. We're going to go on and on and on. So verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Be ready. Are we there yet? Nope. Be ready. Are we there yet? Nope. Be ready. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Be expectant. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. Are you ready? Are you ready? Important question to ask ourselves. I'm going to, I'll actually am concluding. This is amazing. I'm going to conclude with just a few questions of application uh, for us. First question that I would present to you is, uh, I, I, I use the plural language, you know, what, what's our attitude toward the end times? I should be more specific. What's my or what is your specific attitude regarding the end times? Let's go back. You remember the family road trip I was telling you about? No, some of you slept through that. I'll tell you, it was a great story. Anyhow, so some of them were preoccupied with, the, are we there yet? And here's the details and how many hours and how many miles. And I mean, they drove everybody crazy in the car. I even think one time, no, I'm not even going to confess that. One time, I think we stopped the car and put one of them outside for just a little bit. To make clear the point, you ask that question again, you're staying on the roadside. We weren't, we weren't. Oh, by the way, some of you asked where my lovely wife is. She is at the church that we retired from with uh, a couple of our adult kids. And if you know Pam, the kids always win out over Tom. It's just kind of been a lifelong thing. Oh, it's so hard. So, you know, one of the kids had a preoccupi preoccupation with, are, are we there yet? And they drove everybody else crazy. So regarding end times, 
Some of you are very passionate about it. I want to challenge you to be sure that you are not driving your friends crazy. Just a personal challenge. Because here's the way I read the gospel and really, you know, the entirety of scripture, both old as it points to Jesus and then the gospels and the New Testament writings. You know what we're supposed to be about? Being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Okay, the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes we spend so much time up here and there's nothing bad about that unless it keeps us from being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Like our other kids, some of you have no interest at all in the closing of the age. Um, We live as though Jesus is not coming. So I guess you could say those of us who really live as though he's not coming or practical atheists. Whew, that's some strong language. Lord, we want to be sensitive. We want to be ready. And then some of us have a healthy balance of anticipation, peace, and reverence for that glorious day. Second question we could ask ourselves, what's left to be accomplished? That's a legit question. Of what Jesus prophesied, um, could Jesus Christ come today? Somebody want to answer that question? Yes. Yes. Anybody want him to come today? Yes. All right, so Jerusalem gets tanked. It's wiped out. Check. Tribulation on earth. Mm, Tough times, yes. But I don't think it's like the real trib. Um, Gospel preached to all the world. How many of you would say the gospel has been preached to all the world? Like some of us say, yeah, nobody wants to raise your hand. Nobody's taking a chance. All right, I got you, brother. Anyhow, because I'm thinking there's so many people groups that haven't heard, but then there's so many that have. Well, it's interesting to me what Paul says in Colossians, because if we're just thinking, we got to get the gospel, it's got to be preached everywhere. Look at what he says in Colossians 1, verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been, has, I don't know if, uh, maybe Paul's trying to trick us, maybe the translators are messing with us, I'm not really sure, but that's a past tense phrase there, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, every gospel writer would have been aware of the the prophecies regarding Jesus uh, in their interaction with him. They had been totally clear on that. And they all were under persecution of some kind. Perhaps they were convinced, oh, this is the tribulation. This is the bad stuff. But then the next generation, oh, maybe it's our generation. And then now here we're saying, oh, okay, this could be the onslaught, the beginning of things to come. Every gospel writer thought that Jesus could return at any moment. Now, I've been a Christian for quite a while, not a good one some years, but a decent one other years, you know. I love Jesus with everything in me, and I don't spend enough time contemplating his return. I just, I don't, and I want to be more that way. 
Because the thought of his return, the imminence of his return, it drove every decision they made about money, about where they were going to walk. It's why Paul went all over the known world at that time planting churches because Christ was going to return at any moment. I want that level of passion so that the community of Christ followers, we would collectively get up off our pews. Anybody old enough to know what a pew is? Yeah. yeah. I haven't been on a pew in a long time, but I like to. We'll get off our chairs and be active for the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Let's do it. And much of the early church expansion was from that, that zeal of knowing Jesus was going to come back. And, and I have to confess, I'm a little lackadaisical sometimes. I am. And I don't like it. Jesus could come at any moment. The gospel writers believed it. The early church fathers believed it. Because time is behind us, there is a greater probability of Jesus showing up today because yesterday's gone. He's coming back. Would you live differently? If you gave a little bit more thought and meditation to the return of Christ, are you ready? All of you, I know, I, some of you are coloring. I just, just look at me for a second. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? You see, what makes us ready is yielding, I guess, the lordship, the rudder, the control of our life over to him. And I'm not just talking about this much of life when we live this much. Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants it all. Do you give as though his return is imminent? Do you serve him and the local church and her mission as though Christ would return at any time? Do you love one another and express forgiveness and grace as though Jesus might show up in the middle of your contentious situation? Are you willing to accept temporary discomfort so that the gospel can be preached everywhere? I know it sounds like a semi-rhetorical question, but hey, let's be legit about this. It's one thing to say, hey, I got fire insurance. I'm not going to burn in hell. And it's another thing to say, Jesus Christ gave everything for me, the least I can do is to give him my life and to ask him to use me individually and as a community to advance the gospel. I'm going to ask you to do something every day for six days. And it's probably not going to happen, but I'm going to ask you anyhow. Every day, when you get up, we all, look in, we all go to the mirror. I mean, it may not look like I went to the mirror, but I go to the mirror every day. You're going to ask yourself this question. Am I ready? Not are we there yet. Am I ready for the return of the king? 
I'm out of time. So we're going to pray. And the band's going to come up. There might even be a, some prayer people over here. So as they prepare to lead us in a kind of a closing uh, worship song, let me, let's just talk heart to heart. How many of you, without worrying about what anybody else around you thinks, would say, I want to be more mindful of the return of Christ. I just want to see if there's a couple hands. Great, great. I mean, don't do it like for me. Just do it because I'm curious. All right, cool. How many of you intend to ask yourself daily for the next six days, am I ready? I think we should do it because I think it will change the way we walk out of the house, the way we step into our day. If married, the way we love our spouse. If we're parents, the way we nurture and direct our kids. If we have jobs, how we interact with our co-workers. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing. Then we're going to send you off into a marvelous week. Don't forget, I have a new boss. You have a new pastor. His name, Joshua P. Little. Love that guy. Yay! That was the weakest clap ever. Give it up. He's our new pastor. Yeah. All right, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your holy word. Um, thank you that you actually don't expect us to understand perfectly with precision the timing and the steps and the order and all you've asked of us is to devote ourselves fully to your son. I, for one, stand in front of this community and declare, I am a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for your mercy, God. I thank you for your divine love. I thank you that even if I don't have all the answers or we don't have all the answers, you are the answer. God, help us to shift from how much we know to how deeply we are known by you and how deeply we love you. Help us to shift from knowing to relationship. Heavenly Father, there are people in this room who desperately need a touch from you, a physical healing, You've done it before. I ask you to do it again, Lord. There are people here who face financial difficulty that's crippling. God, would you show yourself as the great provider? Meet needs. Lord, there are people in this room who have either damaged or experienced damaged relationships with loved ones. If there is any possibility that restoration could come. It will only come by the move and work of your Holy Spirit. Would you do great things, Lord? And Heavenly Father, we confess collectively that we have been a bit remiss about recognizing 
that your son will be returning and it should change the way we live. Give us the privilege of seeing Jesus coming on the clouds with great power and great glory. We love you, Lord. And as a church community, we ask these things in your name. And we say together, amen and amen.